Curtis, thanks for leading worship. Uh, moms, uh, especially today, welcome. And um, it's, you know, if it wasn't for moms, we wouldn't be here. Think about that. You know? Not one of you would be here, okay? Um, I do want to just encourage you. Um, VBS is this amazing, amazing opportunity to really impact our community, to really uh, share God's love with kids. And so this year, um, with the sports theme, hopefully we're going to have a bunch of kids show up, uh, a different crowd of kids uh, show up who are interested in sports, and, we, and we'll get to just impact them. One of the ways you can really impact these kids, um, and Megan asked me just to highlight this again, is huddle leaders, okay? So what, what's going to happen is these kids are going to come in, and they're going to be put into these little groups of like four to six, and a huddle leader is, is that person who goes around, your job is just to love on those kids. It's all, there's not a lot of preparation. You just go with them. You're kind of the little group leader, and you go with them to all the different activities that they do, and you help them understand the lessons. You don't have to teach a lesson. You don't have to um, play a sport or anything like that. You don't even have to be athletic, okay? Um, <coughs> but as you go around with these kids, uh, just help them make sense of what's going on, um, love on them, share Jesus' love with them. So, Adults, we really need you guys to step up, okay? We've got a bunch of uh, young kids who want to be huddle leaders, but uh, putting a, a sixth grader with a group of fifth graders, I mean, that's, you need a little bit of an age gap there, okay? So um, I want to really encourage you, uh, challenge you, um, take some time. As a church, we're providing a meal, so if your neighbors are wondering uh, if they can bring their kids and have a meal, yeah, the meal is for everyone, including you, um, if you're bringing kids or helping you at VBS, or if you just want to show up and eat the meal and pray, you can do that. <laughs> yeah, please pray. So I want to encourage you, huddle leaders. Okay. All right. So uh, I know today's Mother's Day, uh, but as a church, we're committed to preaching God's Word. Okay. Uh, if you're a visitor, welcome. We want you to know that at Crossroads, we're going to preach God's Word. Okay. And we're going to preach all of God's Word. Now, I don't necessarily like that all the time, because I'd love to just pick and choose the, the, the fun bits, the bits that I really understand and get my head around, and, and the bits that are just super encouraging. But sometimes, um, yeah, God writes some really hard things in, in His Word. But we, we do, we're committed to preaching God's Word, and, and we look at God's Word um, in, in, in the light of God's Word, okay? So we don't want to just take one verse out of context, and that's why we don't pick and choose. Because it's easy just to go like, hey, we're just going to focus on this part, but not address these other parts. And so we're going to address all of Scripture in light of all of Scripture. The other thing we're going to do is as we look at um, Romans and, and Scripture in general, is we're going to interpret Scripture in the context of relationship, okay? God's Word to us it is not like, um, you know, when you buy an appliance, you get that little book that, that's kind of just in the bottom of the washing machine, and you're like, I know how to hook this up, and you, you know, hook up hot to cold, and you're good, and you know, if you really need to, you can read the book, but it's kind of like just optional extra, and it's got all these other languages and all the stuff that you don't need to know, like, this is the door, this is the on switch, like, yeah, I know that. We don't view God's Word that way. We view God's Word in the context of relationship. God's Word is not an impersonal um, memo or instruction manual to you. God's Word is His 
personal love letter to you. It's relational. And we view God's Word as alive. Uh, scripture says that God's Word is, is living and breathing, and it's, and it, it's able to, to challenge and change us. And so we come under God's Word as a church, and we say, Father, Jesus, would you speak to us? Would you, sh- would you change us by your Word? So that's what we're going to do this morning, okay? So let's pray. Jesus, that's our prayer. Uh, we come under your Word, uh, and your Word is... It's not just this instruction manual that just has been passed down, um, kind of life's little instructions, but Father, it's your word to us personally today here in Grimes at Crossroads for each and every one of us. Thank you that you love us and you've given us your word. And so Father, we pray this morning, would you speak to us? We humble ourselves and we, we submit ourselves to your word. Lord, even the things that are hard, we might not understand them all, but we choose to follow your word. So Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts and open our eyes? And Father, I pray um, as I share, uh, would you increase, would I decrease uh, more of you, less of me? Would, would your words uh, flow through me this morning? Lord? This is all about you. Amen. So come now and just, uh, Jesus, we want to enjoy your word. Your word is like honey. We just want to enjoy it and celebrate it. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so um, going into this morning's message, I haven't got this figured out, okay? Uh, The good news is uh, there's a lot of people with me who haven't got this figured out, but um, I want you to know that uh, I personally struggle with um, the passage that we are going to read this morning, but I'm choosing to come under God's Word and and, and to teach what it says, and not what I wanted to say, okay, because uh, that's the difference there. So I'm going to start with a question, okay, <laughs> put that out there. Uh, what does it mean to be just? If you uh, think of someone and you say they are just, what does it mean? Fair. Fair. Right. Someone's just. Reasonable, informed, okay? They follow the laws, okay? They're just, okay? So um, I'm going to need some interaction. We're going to kind of explore some topics here, and I want you to speak your mind, okay? But to to act justly is to act with fairness, to be right, uh, equitable, um, in terms of equality, with moral rightness or righteousness, um, treating people as they deserve according to a standard, and and that's the law. Okay, so um, let's say innocent people are suffering. Is that just? No? All right, I need your interaction, okay? I want to make sure you're on the same page here. Okay, so um, how about when evil people suffer? Is that just? Yeah. Okay? Okay, so innocent people suffering is not just. Evil people, um, so when they suffer, that's just. Uh, is it, so is it appropriate to punish people who've done something wrong? Okay, it's appropriate. How do we determine the level of punishment? Depends on, 
Say again. Level of their crime. Okay. Yeah, Bethany, help me out here. <laughs> it's a tough one, isn't it? So uh, eye for an eye, that kind of stuff. You know, so depending on what you did, a, re- a responsible, reasonable, reasonable reaction. Um, what if, uh, you know, let's take that eye for an eye. So what if you take out six people's eyes? So you've got now 12 eyes. How do we punish you? See, math doesn't work so well. So we can't go like one eye for one eye because, I mean, what if you're a really, really bad person? So um, how about a leader of a country who practices genocide? Come here, eye for eye, life for a life. Okay, so one life for a thousand lives? Yeah, so when we say just, we run into a lot of problems, okay? And, and so imagine a leader who's enslaved people based on their race. So uh, growing up uh, in South Africa in the 80s and, and early 90s, uh, apartheid. You know, I, I, I benefited from apartheid. I, I went to schools that were exclusively white, not by my choice, but by the system that was in place. And was that system just? No. In no way was that system just at all. Um, judging and, and, and limiting people based on the color of their skin or their nationality or um, their ethnicity. Okay? So, so what about a leader who enslaves people based on their ethnicity and then practices genocide, what would be a fair response or judgment on that leader? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> That's yeah. Keep it. Okay, slow and painful death. Okay. There is no way to be fair, really. Okay, so you're correct. So, so you're you're separating fairness and justness. Fairness, an eye for an eye, fair, just giving them a just punishment based on on their, their deeds. Okay, so keep that that thought in mind as we go through this passage. Let's let's take another. Okay, how about a, a group of people who think they can do nothing wrong? Do you think they're just? I mean, they can do whatever they want, like with total immunity. Do you think that's just? So it doesn't matter what they do. Um, you know, the rules don't apply to us. They apply to other people, but not to us. I have immunity. Is that just? Okay. Yeah, I don't have immunity. Okay. So remember that. Well, Paul's going to deal with that because he is speaking, and so the context of Romans chapter 9, he is speaking to the nation of Israel, and they had that exact mindset. They thought, we are God's chosen people, we are something really, really special, and God's going to judge all those other people, but because we are so special, we're so special that God chose us, 
They got that backwards, actually. Um, the rules don't apply to us. They apply to everyone else. Okay? And so Paul's writing to uh, these churches in Rome, and at this stage, a lot of the folks in, in the Roman churches are Jews, are from a Jewish background, from the nation of Israel. And, and, and there's this thing going on. They're like, we are the Jews. We are the nation of Israel. God chose us. We must be something really, really, really special if God, you know, noticed us and chose us. Um, and, and He has blessed us. And they're thinking that this is about them because of who they are and not about God, okay? And in, in the previous verses in chapter 9, um, Paul exposes them. And he says, guys, this is not about you. You're not that special, really. Um, Paul says, look how pointless your pride is. You have this pride in who you are, but look how pointless it is. Because what they would have said is, we're Abraham's children, okay? We are Abraham's children. And that makes us super special. But then he says, and, and Paul then speaks about um, Jacob and Esau. And he says, so you think you're Abraham's kids, okay? You know what? You're only a pot of stew away from being those lousy Edomites. Okay, because, yeah, Jacob and Esau, both Abraham's children, both in the line of Abraham. Who is supposed to have the birthright? Esau. Esau is supposed to have it, correct. He's supposed to have it, okay? Esau's descendants, he sells it for a pot of stew, yeah. But Esau's descendants become the Edomites. And Israel looked at the Edomites and thought, man, we're so glad we're not like them. And do you realize they were just a pot of stew away from being them? God's, God's chosen people probably should have been the Edomites if you follow the line correctly. But God doesn't work that way. God doesn't work that way. And so God is exposing, through Paul, He's exposing these Jews, this, this desire they have, this pride that they have. Hey, we are a special people. Yes, you are, because God chose you. And it's God's choice that made you special. Not that you were special and then God said, hey, I recognize your specialness. No, He gave them <laughs> their specialness, okay? So, in, in, in response to this, Paul's going to ask a question. He's going to go, verse 14, if you're with me. We're going to look at verse 14. Jason looked at those first verses. So, just remember, we're not that special. We're only ever a part of stew away from being really terrible, okay? So, it's a great way of looking at life. Keeps pride in check. But Paul's going to respond with a question, okay? So he said, guys, as Israel, remember, God has chosen you, and that's why you're special. Don't have pride in the fact that you've done anything. And so he says, what then shall we say, verse 14? Is God unjust? Has God made an unjust choice here. Is God, yeah, unjust. Um, do you have a problem with who God chose? And think about what's happening here. Because now in the New Testament, God is calling the Gentiles. He's calling some of those Edomites, some of Esau's descendants. And the Jews are getting bent out of shape. God, are you really calling these Gentiles? I mean, do you know what they eat? Do you know what they do? 
Do you know when last they washed their hands? Do you know how they wear mixed clothing and all this stuff? And these Jews probably had like a hundred things going on in their minds. God, how could you be choosing them? Why are you choosing them? And so he asks this question, is God unjust because he is now choosing and revealing himself and loving Gentiles? See, the Jews thought they were special because of a pot of stew. And God's now choosing the Gentiles. And Paul's going to answer this question. So let's read again. Romans 9 verse 14. What then shall we say? Is God unjust in choosing these Gentiles? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. So God's saying, Israel, I chose you because of my mercy. Israel was chosen because of God's mercy, not because of anything they did special. Remember that Esau and Jacob, Jacob is renamed Israel. And Israel is chosen. Remember, when was he chosen? When he started being a really good kid? Before the foundation of the world, before they, when, while they were still in the womb, before they were in the womb, he was chosen. So it's not based on his effort. It's not like he was the guy who... Um, you know, was the better baby in the womb. Like, oh, I should choose this one. No, before. So it doesn't depend on human desire or human effort. And so basically Paul's saying, Jews, it's not up to you. You're not special because of what you've done or how you live or what you haven't done. It's not about who you are or what you did. It's all about God. God has chosen you. And so God can choose whoever He wants to. He can have mercy on you and anyone else he wants to. He can choose who he has mercy on. Let him have mercy. Let him invite the Gentiles into this relationship. Let God be God. And I think what Paul's saying is, guys, stop trying to play God. Stop limiting and holding God back. Let God be God, and you guys stop playing God. Stop playing God. That's what Paul's saying to these, these Jewish believers. And now he's going to give them an example. He says, if you want to play God, let me show you what happens when you want to play God. Okay? Now he's going to give an example. This is someone who tried, Pharaoh. It's the example he's going to give. Verse 17. He says, for scriptures say to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom He wants to have mercy, and He hardens whom He wants to harden. Okay. So let's unpack Pharaoh a little bit. Um, Pharaoh actually thought he was something, didn't he? You know, think about uh, just what you know about the Egyptian culture. Pharaohs thought they were God. They desired worship. They had people worship them. And so I think Pharaoh actually thought that he was God. And now um, we know that uh, Joseph kind of takes the Israel into Egypt, um, saves most of Egypt um, by, by managing their food well. And um, 
they start growing, this nation of Israel starts growing in size in Egypt. And at some point, Pharaoh goes, man, these guys are a threat to me. And so what does Pharaoh do? What is the first thing he does to the nation of Israel? Okay, so they're enslaved, and he starts killing the males. He starts killing the males. So we know that from Moses' story. Moses' mom knows that he is going to be killed, and so she puts, she weaves his basket, floats him on this river on the Nile. Pharaoh's daughter takes him, and Moses is raised in, in Pharaoh's household, in the palace. Have you ever thought, Moses has no peers. If Moses went to Jewish school, what would his class look like? All girls. He'd be the only guy. I mean, think about it. He has no peers of his own culture, his own race. And I don't know for how long this went on. I would love to know, but, but you have this gap of no males, males being killed at birth. And for how long did that go on? So Moses has no male peers. Yeah, just girls. But he grows up, and we know he, he grows up amongst the Egyptians. Uh, God calls him out. And, and then Moses goes back to Pharaoh. Um, and we're not going to go through the whole of Moses' story. Go and read Exodus. Um, but God calls Moses, and Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. We know then that... Um, Pharaoh, it says that Pharaoh hardens his heart. Pharaoh himself hardens his heart. It also says that God hardens his heart. Okay. I'd love to know exactly how that works. Like, what came first? How much did God harden his heart? How much was already there? But it does say that God raised Pharaoh up. He chose Pharaoh for this time, for this purpose, and the purpose was to display his glory, okay? So, it says there, and Paul is quoting Exodus 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 16, he says that God chose him for this purpose, to display his glory. He had the specific man, Pharaoh, in mind, and he raised him up. So, I mean, he shaped him and, and shaped his experiences to come to this point. And so I want you to imagine with me um, Moses going to speak to Pharaoh and Moses saying to Pharaoh, so and Pharaoh's got this ego, okay? He's got this ego that's just filling his whole nation. I mean, this guy thinks he is God himself. And Moses turns around and says, my God raised you up for this. Do you think Pharaoh would have taken to that well? But that's exactly what he says. He says, you think you're here by your own strength, your own capabilities, your own connections, your own abilities? No. God raised you up and placed you here for a purpose. And that purpose was God's glory. Um, if, you, if you read uh, the rest of Exodus around there, I'm going to read verse, so this is chapter 9, verse 15. It's the verse right before the one that Paul quotes. It says, for now, this is actually like, uh, the context of it is, seventh plague, they're about to get nailed with hail, okay, like big hail. Remember, cows that are out, Moses warns them, those folks who, who received the warning, 
they went and put their cows and their cattle and their chickens and everything in the, in the houses. And everyone who was outside was killed. The livestock, the men, everyone. Okay? So we're talking big hail. Okay? A lot of really big hail. Okay? Um, Moses warns them. Some of them heed the warning. Others don't. Um, but Moses then says this to Pharaoh. He's standing in front of Pharaoh and he says, For now, this is God speaking through Moses. For now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So Pharaoh's seen six plagues. He's about to see his seventh. He's been warned. And Moses says to him, I, God could have wiped you out, just wiped you out. No warning, no plagues, nothing. I could have just wiped you guys off the face of the earth. But I've raised you up for this purpose. Pharaoh hardened his heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart for this purpose, that God's glory may be revealed. So think about all the other leaders, okay, that uh, are looking to Egypt. You know, all these other nations, all these other kings, these other leaders that are looking to Pharaoh. And they think, man, we know Pharaoh. We've had to fight some wars against him. We know what he's like. That guy is a tough act. He is a hard-nosed leader. And his ego is just massive. But look at what's happening to him. Look at what's happening. He's had these plagues. And the Israelites keep saying, let us go, let us go. And he keeps holding on to them. Imagine the conversations that were happening amongst other leaders. Man, do we have any Israelites amongst us? We should let them go right away, okay? Imagine those conversations. One of the commentators put it this way. Um, imagine the, the movie Prince of Egypt. It would have been a really short movie if he just let him go the first time. <laughs> but um, Pharaoh hardens his heart, and God hardens Pharaoh's heart to display his power. He says, and, and, and God gets personal with Pharaoh here. He comes right up. It's God and Pharaoh, and he's like, I want you to see me, and I want you to know who I am. I want you to know my power. I want you to know that I could have wiped you out, and I've given you a chance I've been merciful to you. I've given you 10 opportunities to let my people go. But you've chosen not to. And God hardened his heart to display his power. I want you to know my power is what God is saying to Pharaoh. And so he gives Pharaoh a chance and, and Pharaoh continues just to harden his heart. Um, because Pharaoh has set himself up against God. He has set himself up as a competition, like against God. He's like, no, I, I'm going to win this. Have you ever met anyone who's done that? Who's set themselves up against God? I uh, had a conversation yesterday with an individual who set himself up against God. And... Um, I don't, know how, I don't know how it's going to turn out, um, but I know who's going to win. 
I know who's going to win. And I know that there are times where we do that. We set ourselves up against God and we say, God, I'm, I know you've called me to do this, but I'm not going to do it because I, I think I know better. I think you've made a mistake here and I'm going to do it my way. And that was Pharaoh's decision. I'm going to do it my way. And he kept on saying that, I'm going to do it my way. Until God killed all of their firstborns. The whole nation of Egypt. Firstborn sons killed. So Pharaoh stood up to God and he lost. And um, we still talk about it today. So folks, I want to I put this out very clearly. I want to warn you, don't stand up against God. Don't set yourself up against God. We know what happens. Uh, Paul speaks about it. Um, throughout the Bible, we, we see the example of it. Do not set yourself up against God. My, my, my prayer, my plead with you is that you would, you would submit and say, God, your will be done in my life. Your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. So then Paul um, asks a second question. Well, let's finish this first question. Is God just? Um, you know, Deb, I'm going to disagree with you. When I thought about I'm going to agree and disagree with you, okay? I, I, don't, I don't think God is just. I don't think God is just. I think God is way more than just, okay? And, and I wanted you to have some shock factor there because, man, we don't want God to be just with us. We want God to be merciful with us. And so is God just? Yes, but He's so much more than that. He is compassionate and merciful, and, and, and thank God that He is, okay? So, yeah, God is just. Hear me on that one. But He's so much more than that. He's so much more than just, okay? Because, um, man, I probably would have taken Pharaoh out when he started killing babies. I would have gone like, all right, time's up. You're done. Um, or, you know, first or second plague, somewhere around there. But, um, I don't know. Okay. So praise God that He has mercy on us, and He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Okay, so now, kind of the follow-up question that He then asks is, okay, if God makes these choices, and God chooses to harden Pharaoh's heart, and God chooses this nation of Israel, and starts choosing Gentiles as well, um, Paul kind of is thinking, what would the next objection be? When people read this, they'd go like, all right, so if God makes all these choices, then what do I do? What's my part in this? You know, can I just sin and I'm like, I'm safe because, hey, I've been chosen. Or, well, you know, maybe I haven't been chosen, so there's nothing I can do. And so who's responsible? If God shows us mercy and He chooses whoever He wants, what's our part in this? If God does the choosing, how can He then blame us? How can he hold us responsible? And then he says, how can anyone resist his will? How can anyone resist his will? Can we actually say no? Do we really have a choice? We've got to remember that um, Paul is writing this in, in the context of the Jews who are chosen having a hard time with God choosing the Gentiles. 
we tend to turn it around and we tend to go like, well, what about all those people that God doesn't choose? And we always go there. And I'm going to try and answer that. Um, and my prayer is that God would answer that for you. But um, it says, you know, this is Paul speaking. It says, one of you will say to me, this is the objection. Then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist His will? Why does God blame us? Who's able to resist His will? Paul essentially has a two-part answer. Uh, the first part, um, pray for humility as you hear this. Um, he says, who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Paul's basically saying, guys, we're lumps of clay. And who are we as lumps of clay to ask the potter, how are you going to form me? What are you going to do with me? Notice that the potter has his hands on the clay as God has his hands on our life. God is forming us and he's forming us for a purpose. And that purpose might be the message puts it, a beautiful vase or a pot for cooking beans. But both of those have a purpose. And both of those have been formed by the potter. And both of those are formed for the potter's pleasure and the, for the potter's glory and for the potter's use. I think we have a hard time when we look around and we see a beautiful vase and then realize that we're the pot of beans. I go like, God, why am I not the vase? Why did you choose that person to, to be beautiful or um, to be a great preacher? Why did you choose that person to be a great preacher and you guys get stuck with me? Well, because everyone needs a pot of beans sometimes, okay? <laughs> so we need to accept this with humility. God, you have your hands on me. You are forming me into something that you choose, something that you have a purpose for, something that you are going to use. And so, God, I humbly accept that. You are the potter. I am the clay. Have your way with me. Because the, the choice I have is as a lump of clay, I mean, imagine this, a lump of clay saying to the potter, hey, Get your hands off me. It doesn't happen, does it, Eric? Has it ever happened to you? I mean, you, yeah, it doesn't happen, okay? And so my response is, I don't understand um, why you choose who you choose. I don't understand how you choose it. I know it's not based on effort or anything that I do, but thank you for choosing me. Not based on my effort or my desire, but thank you for choosing me based on your mercy, based on your mercy. And I accept your choice. I accept you choosing me in humility. Um, and please use me as you please. Folks, that's the best answer I can give you right now. Um, you're going to have to save this one for heaven, just like me. I'm going to go like, God, you made me into a water pot or a pot of beans or, or, or a vase. 
Um, I don't know why, but I'm going to accept that, and I'm going to allow you to use me um, for what you want. I'm going to allow you to use me for what you want. And, and if I'm the vase, I'm going to stop trying to put beans in me. And if I'm the pot, I'm going to stop trying to have flowers in me. I'm, I'm going to be true to what God has made me, okay, based on His mercy. The second way that um, Paul answers this is, and, and you, we need to know this, and Priscilla, this is your, I'm going to let Jesus decide that. God's choice is good. God's choice is always good. It's not based on race. It's not based on performance. It's not based on ethnicity. It's not based on our age. It's not based on our desire. It's not based on our ability, our giftedness. But He is patient with us, and He chooses us for His glory. I'm going to read the rest of, of, of Romans 9 through, through verse 29, and, and, and just listen to the choices that God makes here. It says, What if God, although choosing to show His wrath and make His power known, bore with great patience the objects of His wrath, prepared for destruction? What if He was patient with them? What if you're super patient with Pharaoh? What if he did not make his riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy? Sorry, what if he did this? Sorry. What if he did this to make his riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy? That's us. Whom he prepared in advance for glory. Even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of Israelites be like sand by the sea, only a remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and and finality. It's just as Isaiah said previously, unless the Lord Almighty has left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom, we would have become like Gomorrah. Folks, in God's mercy, He has chosen us. He has chosen us in His mercy. I'm really glad He has um, because if I asked for justice, for God to be just and not merciful, I have no chance. I have zero chance. And, and just by the way, neither do you guys, okay? We have no chance if, it's, if we want pure justice. If we want mercy, it's the only chance we have. And so God has chosen us. He has chosen to be patient with us. He has chosen to extend His mercy to us. Now, some of us might be going, okay, but what if God didn't choose me? Or what if this person that I'm praying for, remember we're praying for people? We've got to get the box out, okay? Uh, the box is still there and those names are still in it. And, and I pray that you have that bookmark and you're praying for that person. Maybe our, our question is, what if God didn't choose that person and my prayers are pointless? Okay, so I want you to stick with me here because 
if, this is thinking a little bit outside the box here, but if you're thinking, what if that person isn't chosen, or if what if I'm not chosen? Um, we are making that choice. We are wandering, and we're thinking, I, that person should probably be chosen, shouldn't they? God, God would want that person. Uh, if I was God, <laughs> I would choose that person, okay? All right. So we're making that choice, and we're thinking that is a good and right choice, okay? Now, if we are making that choice, and if we're thinking that is a just or merciful choice, do you think God would make that choice? I believe He will, because I believe that God's choices are infinitely better, are his decision-making process. I mean, if I'm choosing, if I'm saying, God, I am praying for this person to be saved. I'm praying for this person to know you. Is God's decision-making process not so much, you know, on a, a million times better than mine? He does. He knows best. And so I'm going to trust God with who He chooses and who He doesn't choose. <coughs> and I'm going to know that His choice is so much better than mine. So much better than mine. And so when I have those doubts and, and go like, God, what if, what if you didn't choose me? Or what if you didn't choose this person? Or, or if you're having those doubts, I want you to trust in God's goodness and that His decisions, His choices are good. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 says, In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works everything out, who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of His will. God is making those choices based on His will. And we know that God's will is good. It is much better than my will. It is much better than... I mean, let's choose the best person in this room and, and look at their will, and it is nothing compared to God's will. God's will is good, and He has chosen us in accordance to His will. Not our desires, not our performance, not our birthright, not our birth order, not our race, not our ethnicity, not anything. He has chosen us in conformity to His will. Somehow He did that before the foundations of the, of the world who's chosen us, being predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. How does He choose? How do I know who He's chosen? I don't. I'm going to trust Him with His good will. I'm going to trust God that His choices are way better than mine. And I'm going to enjoy the fact and, and, and I believe that every single, if you're here today, I believe that He has chosen you. That, that is my, my firm belief. And I believe that He would not want anyone to perish. We have to look at all of Scripture. Um, if there's anyone who turns to Him and, and, and says, God, did you choose me? I believe the answer is always yes. If we truthfully turn to God and ask Him, the answer is yes. Let's pray. Jesus, 
we don't understand. Some of these things in your word are a mystery. And, and we don't get to kind of see the big picture because we are, Jesus, we're the clay. And, and, and clay doesn't have a, his ability to understand everything. Father, I want to pray that each one of us here today would say, Jesus, we are clay. You are the potter. Mold me and make me. Form me for your purpose, for your glory. Jesus, we may not understand how that works, but thank you that as the potter, you have chosen us and that you have your hands on us and that you are forming us. And Jesus, we don't always understand how that works. We don't always understand in the midst of, of, of suffering and uh, hard times and good times and in, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our doubts, in the midst of our questions. Jesus, you're the potter. Father, you're the potter and you have your hands on us. And you are forming us. And Father, I, I pray that we invite you to form us. Lord, we want to just submit that you would form us into what you want us to be. And Jesus, I don't want to look uh, to the left or the right and go like, why are they a vase? Why are they this beautiful jug when I am a plate or a cup or a bowl? Jesus, I, I just want to see what you've made me and, and allow you to use me as you choose. Would you use me as you choose, Jesus? And so Jesus, as a, as a corporate body, we want to submit. We want to say, Jesus, would you use crossroads, this, this body of believers here, as you choose. And Jesus, our, our church, maybe our church is the bean pot. <laughs> maybe it's the vase. We don't know. But Jesus, use us and, and show us how you've made us and formed us for your glory. Father, we want to reflect your glory. We want to demonstrate your glory. We want to be used for your glory. And Jesus, we pray for, for those around us. We pray for our community. We pray for those who are not saved, who don't know that you are forming them, that you have a purpose for their lives, that you have chosen them. Jesus, I pray that you'd use us for your glory and that we would share this good news with others, that we would share that, man, God is forming you. He has your hands on you. His hands on with you in your life and forming you into what He desires. And Father, would we never, um, as lumps of clay, set ourselves against you, in opposition to you. It's kind of pointless. The clay saying to the potter, hey, get your hands off me. Lord, would we just surrender to you? Let us never set our, our wills against yours. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your hands that are forming me and each person here. Thank you for your glory. Thank you that you want this for your glory. And Jesus, we pray. 
that your glory be magnified, your glory be made known through us and in us. Pray all glory to you. May you be glorified in us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and sing and worship the God that chose us. Amen. Oh, 
Let's, uh, let's pray and, and take up offering this morning. Dear Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for choosing us, Lord. And in choosing us, you chose all of us. Um, you chose our heart. You chose our finances. Um, you chose all of who we are, Lord, to honor and glorify you. And it, it's our choice. It's our, it's our um, way of serving to give everything back to you, Lord. So I just ask as offering comes this morning, Lord, that um, we would give what you're asking us to give and not just what we feel comfortable with. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Happy Mother's Day to everyone. Go and be the church. Amen.